it's good to see you. Happy Easter to you. It is Easter. I, I thought I saw somebody wearing bunny ears. So rad. I, I'm sorry. I looked over there. I'm like, hey, bunny ears. So good to see you guys. Um, it, it's great to see new faces here in the house today. If this is your first time at Fathom, welcome. We really pray this is a place that uh, it's not just a, a quote-unquote like church religious thing on the corner, even though we're not on the corner, but it's a real place for you to grow in your faith and um, we think something so connected with that is to grow in family and the body of Christ. We, we believe that you can't just take the head, which is Christ of the church, and, and leave the body behind, but, but really we're, we're gathered together, uh, the body with the, with the head, and it's good to see new faces, good to see old faces in the house, and um, not that you're old, but like just people that we've known for a while. It's good to see you guys. I was getting uh, our boys dressed today. Um, which is always fun, and it's especially fun on Easter, like trying to pick out an outfit, and I just had like some heavy-duty flashbacks from when I was a little dude, and like me and my brother are 15 months apart, like 15 months is close, like that was like six-month breather, and let's do it again. Um, we're not that brave, some of you have been that brave, or, or stuff happens on accident. Um, my mom put it, we were that close, and we look identical, I'll show you a picture here in a second, hold on just a second on that, because um, that's so creepy that I can't keep attention when that's happening. Um, but we're 15 months apart, and we look so much alike, and as if that wasn't enough for us to be mistaken for twins until we turned, like, 15, um, as if it wasn't enough that we looked exactly like mom had to dress us exactly alike. Some of your kids are over there, and they look exactly like they're dressed exactly alike. Anybody grew up in a family, like, mom dressed you up exactly alike? Ain't no shame in it. It's okay, mom. It's okay if you did it. It's okay. I'm just saying there's a little pain there's a little pain, there's a little harsh experience of me having to look exactly like, I don't know what, what your kind of uh, history with Easter, if it's just a day you come check out, out, out church, or you know, just come and kind of do the church thing, or if it's uh, kind of one of those flashback moments where mom dressed you up just alike. Uh, I found some great things online that may remind you of your growing up and like taking a great Easter picture. Uh, the first one they threw up there, go ahead and throw it up there, and I'm pretty sure with this one, like the bunny costume is also a part of the backdrop. Like, there's just a guy behind there just putting his arms through the thing. Um, very creepy. Uh, what's the next one you guys have back there? Oh, this, I love the, ho the homemade version here. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure there's a vegetable coming out of his nose. I'm not totally sure. It looks like the end of some vegetable I'm not familiar with. The kid's like, just let me go hunt eggs. Are those pajamas? I think they're pajamas. This... I think everybody's safe because this bunny's now behind bars somewhere. Like, he's, like, why would you put your kid in that bunny's lap? Like, he's a murderer of some sort. Uh, let's keep looking. This is classic. This is great. This is like when good ideas go bad. The bunny's coming out of the gardening shed. And like, that was a good idea at some point until this, the child runs in terror. <laughs> you guys see it coming out of the, the shed back there? This one, they obviously came home from church and were like, Dad, we need a picture. He's just like, whatever, whatever. Some of you guys have been that dad. They got you here today, though. This was, I, I, I just picture the, the, the thing happening in, like, the fabric store, you know? Like, come, no, I want this one. No, I, we're getting one fabric. I'm not making multiples. I'm not, I'm not cutting it up. All one pattern, all one swatch. She had that leftover in the garage or something. This is some of you guys, like, I don't want to be in the picture. Come back, come back. I don't want to be in the picture. Come back, come back. Take the picture, take the picture. And they're matching, of course. This one, I don't know what to call this one. It's so good, but I don't know what to call it. I kind of want to, like, caption this. 
just shoulder pads. I just want to caption it, shoulder pads. Um, or, or like um, some kind of obsession with Pee Wee Herman. Anybody go through an obsession with Pee Wee Herman? Yeah, I thought you wouldn't admit that. Um, this kid reminds me of the guy in, in Mighty Ducks, Fulton, like the real hardcore dude. He's just real tough looking. This dad, this is like hangover, like when it was happening between Friday and Sunday, like this was hangover Saturday. They're like Sunday, like dad is, is looking rough that morning. Uh, sorry if like this is one of your photos I ripped offline. I hope not. Um, what, what else is on there? This is like way, there's no caption. There's no words for what's taking place here. The child is kissing underwear <laughs> with Sharpie of a bunny face. Like, no cap. I don't know if that's his mom or, or his sister. Either way, it's terrible. Let's, let's keep going. And this one might be the creepiest of all time. Easter Bunny creepily walking by the window. Like, that is just terrifying to look at. The bunny didn't look so terrible like when we were sitting in the mall, but when he's walking by with Easter baskets, he looks like he's stolen something from some kid. So uh, I think that, yeah, and this is me and my brother. See, we look so much alike. Mom had to dress us exactly alike. Can you tell which one's me, left or right? It's the right one. It's the right one. My brother was the cuter one. I'm just hardcore. Just hardcore. I think there's another one up there. Yep. Aww. So you did, you did it last time, I'll help it happen this time. So I don't know what your history with Easter is, like if you've got some like terrible memories or ridiculous pictures of you out there, in, maybe in an Easter bunny's lap. Um, but I, I know there's just a lot of, um, there's a little bit of anxiety, I think, and a lot of, there's a lot of energy that happens. But I think with uh, some folks in the room, I mean, you, you may, this may be like your 100th Easter service. You've been to Easter your whole life since like before you were born. And some of you, like this is your first time ever being in church for Easter, and like, you're welcome here, and I think it's one of those days where we dress up uh, nice, like, I, I never throw on a jacket, but I never do, um, and I threw one on today, it's like one of those days we kind of, kind of dress up, and kind of, you know, for some folks, it doesn't matter, uh, but what I want to encourage you, like, whatever, like, this is for you, is just to, like, take down the guard, take down the facade that you might put up when it comes to church, or interacting with new people, or, or, or just maybe some baggage that you have with church, I, I just want to ask you for these next few moments to just set that aside, like physically in your mind, not physically, I don't know how you'd physically do that, but in your mind, your spirit, just like kind of set those things aside that God might speak to us today, that we might look at the passion narrative, we might look at the resurrection with all fresh eyes, like whether it's your 100th or your very first time hearing the gospel I, 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 of Jesus, I, I want us to, every single person in this room, to be impacted and be able to reflect in such a way that we walk out of this place with the life that God's called us to. So set some of that stuff aside. We're going to be going into multiple texts. Uh, the Gospels, uh, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John all kind of dictate and narrate what uh, the passion narrative looked like, the passion story, the suffering story of Jesus and his resurrection look like. And so we're going to be bouncing around to some different ones uh, and kind of go at things a, a little bit differently. And, and as I kind of begin to think about Jesus and I think about his supernatural birth, right? Like, born of, born of a Virgin Mary and, um, you know, born in a stable. It's just, sometimes it just kind of becomes picturesque, but a little bit too much to handle. And then I think about Jesus' supernatural life and his supernatural death, supernatural resurrection. And I, it's, it just becomes a little bit overwhelming at times, just how supernatural Jesus' birth, life, death, and resurrection are. And sometimes that kind of 
brings me back to my natural kind of mind that I can't understand all this supernatural life, and it's a little bit overwhelming. And, and so, but what the thing that's always given me clarity is what we see from Genesis to Revelation through every prophet and through the Gospels and through the pastoral letters in the New Testament is the love of God. Is the love of God from the very beginning to the very end. And nothing illustrates that. It actually brings everything together kind of right at the beginning of the New Testament in what our faith hinges on as believers in Jesus. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 22. And we're going to be moving through some passages today, and so you're welcome to kind of look them up and grab them. But just so you know, we're going to be moving fast, so um, kind of hang with us, uh, or, or just follow on the screen. Luke chapter 22, verse 39. Jesus went out as usual to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. On reaching the place, he said to them, pray that you will not fall into temptation. He withdrew about a stone's throw beyond them, knelt down, and prayed. Father, if you're willing, this is Jesus praying to the Father, take this cup from me. Notice that it's one sentence, a, a semicolon. I used to not know what a semicolon meant. Some of you have no idea, like you like to put them. I used to just put them there in case I didn't know what else to put. I'll put a semicolon, like it's one of those. But a semicolon is a continuance of a thought that's still one idea, but it could be its own sentence. But here, it, it's, chosen, it's not to be its own sentence because Jesus is saying, I wish this cup this, this crucifixion, this suffering, and this death that is coming in my life, and he's, he's about to share that to his, or he's already shared that with his disciples earlier in this night, yet not my will, but yours be done. An angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him, and being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and, he, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. When he arose from prayer, he went back to the disciples. He found them asleep, exhausted from sorrow. You ever been so exhausted just from sorrow? Like, you're just exhausted. There's no motivation. There's no life there. Why are you sleeping? He asked them. Get up and pray so that you will not fall in temptation. The first thing I want to share about God's love. In his, in his love, God has a plan. God has a plan. I, I, I don't watch a, a crazy amount of TV, but there's two shows I'm really into these days. One is Sherlock on BBC. Some of you guys may watch it on Netflix. I love that show. If you don't know, Sherlock is, of course, about Sherlock Holmes. You could, you could infer that. You guys are getting there. You can infer that. You know, he does that. Is it deduction or inference? Deduce it. Yeah, you could deduce that. See, I messed it up. God has a plan. And what I love in these, these two shows, it, one is Sherlock and the other one is Blacklist. And it's on NBC, it's like Robert Reddington, he's like the world's most wanted criminal in the world. What I love about these main characters, and you guys know how this goes in, in TV shows, the main character always has a plan, right? He's always got a way out, he's hanging over the cliff, he's like bound up, and somehow, like we're not, we're like, we're nervous with the show, but we know he's not going to die because the whole show's based around him. And so we just know that he's got a plan. I love in both of these shows, they always have a plan. Like Watson is always looking over knowing that Sherlock has a plan. And Agent Keen always knows that Robert Reddington always has some kind of end game or some play. Like my wife looks over at me, like, and I'm not, I don't even think I'm making a face. And she's like, I know what you're thinking. You're about to say that one thing. And she's got me figured out. And I see it with my kids now, like where they, they get a little smirk on their face. I'm like, I know what you're thinking. Don't you dare. You know, and, and we can just kind of sense this, that there's some kind of wheels turning. And so many times this idea of, of understanding that God has a plan is really difficult. 
It's really difficult, especially when we see that plan not unfolding the way we thought it would unfold, or unfolding in the way that we thought it might or we hoped. And so I, I think a bit, just really the starting point for us as believers, as we look into the life of Jesus and he sets the example, Jesus is fully God and he's fully human, which means he, he knows that he, he's going to go to the cross. He understands the will of the Father. And one person explained this to me in, in a way that kind of helped understand. Jesus was seen with, with like one lens, one div- divine lens and one you know, human lens, but he was fully God, fully man, that he could feel this. And really the starting place for us, if we want the life that God has for us, is submission. And that's what Jesus models, even in the the toughest time of his life. And you may be praying this right now, God, I wish this cup, this life, this situation that I've got myself into or other people have pulled me into, I wish there was a way out. I wish I could just take this cup and like throw it off a cliff but we always have to get this point in the same sense as believers. God, yeah, but not my will. I, I, I want yours. And well, if we look at, at um, some of the people who doubted Jesus at the time, there were those that believed and there were those that doubted. One of the people, it, it's funny that, um, that he happens to be the one that Jesus looked to and said, I'm going to build my church on you. And he, it's to Peter. And Peter denies Jesus three times. And and, and what kind of that, that started with that, I, I really believe, because he's responding to Jesus. Jesus is like, you're going um, to deny me. And Peter's like, no, I'll never do it, Jesus. I'll go with you to the cross. I'll do everything. There's all this. He's just really confident, almost to the point that it's pride. And I think if we really want God's plan for his, our life and really God's best for our life, then we need to swallow the pride. We need to slay the pride because you've heard the phrase, pride comes before the fall. That's, that's biblical. And, and that's what we see here is Jesus setting this example. So in his love, God has a plan. So even if we don't see the way out, we have to submit in the pride and, and not say that we've got it all figured out or this is the way we, thinks, we think it should go or I think we use the word I and me so much in our head. It's all about us. It's all about us. I love how Rick Warren started his book, Purpose Driven Life, like one of the most popular Christian you know, publications ever, except the Bible probably. He starts it, this is not about you. It's so hard to get out of our constant routine when it's all about us. It's so hard to live beyond our humanity that says, well, how's that going to work for me, Jesus? I don't see the plan. I'd rather it go like this, but if we want his best for our life, we have to submit. Let's move on and let's look at Mark chapter 15. Mark is actually called the gospel of suffering many times. It's referred to that because he spends the most amount of time talking about the suffering, the passion of Jesus. And in ch- from chapters 9 to 16, it's the whole account. Uh, chapter 15, verse 17. They put a purple robe on him, then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they, begin, they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. Again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff and spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him. It's, it's complete false. They're mocking him. And when they'd mocked him, they took off the purple robe and put on his own clothes, and they led him out to crucify him. This is just a small glimpse. We've kind of talked about God, and he has a plan for our life today, but... 
I think this is something we have trouble grasping, and we often forget when we're going through a lot, is that God feels our pain. And one of the big reasons that Jesus came is to, you know, be crucified for our sins and to be resurrected and make a way for that. But, but an, another goal in Jesus' coming is that he could feel. He could emotionally connect on, on a real level, physically and emotionally, and understand what we were going through. God in his omniscience could understand that, I would say, already. But I think it's completely different that God's love would send his son. I can't imagine sending my son into pain. I mean, for me, that's such a difficult even thought. Like, I do everything. Like, some people probably might, might be surprised at this. I'm, like, super cautious when it comes to my kids. I really am. Taryn's like, oh, it'll be fine, playing on the playground, whatever. I'm, like, Mr. Cautious. Like, no. Like, I'm just scared to death that he's going to get hurt. And, like, I got hurt a lot. I got scars all over my body from just being a boy. And I'm just so cautious. I'm going to catch every fall and just, like, make sure he doesn't get hurt. So as, as a parent, I can't imagine sending my son into pain. But one of the reasons that Jesus came is so that he could feel our pain. See, I think that's something about real love. It's not just sympathy, but he came so that he could empathize. When you're going through some, something, if you've lost a job or you've lost a loved one, like, Who's the person that you would feel most comfortable talking to about that? Probably someone that's been there before. You can receive affirmation and understand what's happening. That's part of what Jesus came to the earth to do. I, I read Isaiah 53 a few moments ago in worship. Verses 3 through 5, let me read them back. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. Punishment that has brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. This is a prophetic word. This happened hundreds of years before Jesus went to the cross. If you're one that struggles just to believe in this whole thing, and you kind of want to deal in facts, and I'm all about dealing in facts, go look at the prophetic. Go look at the prophetic of the prophecies that, came, that were foretold hundreds of years, and look at the mathematical probability that all of these would be fulfilled in one person at one moment in one lifespan. The probability, I heard one time, is like covering the state of Texas in quarters about an inch deep and then painting one side of them red and then laying it down across the state of Texas. This is the probability. This is based on mathematicians' work on the possibility and the probability of all these prophecies coming true in one person's life. Lay them out, one of them painted red, and then just to walk out blindfolded and to pick the one red one out that's painted. That's like the mathematical probability. Texas is a big state, y'all. <laughs> Jesus bore our pain, and this, it was foretold, and he did it. And, and you may say, hey, uh, I had a baby. Jesus never felt a baby. No, but he felt pain. Like, he may not went through exactly the random scenario that you find yourself in, maybe just because he's a man or, or just because of 
what era he lived in. He meant not the exact same thing, but every human emotion he felt. If you've been betrayed, he got betrayed by one of his closest friends that had done life with him for three years, betrayed him, and that's how he went to the cross. You ever been spit on? Jesus was spit on. His own family just thought he had betrayed him. His own family was like, what's happening with our son? Maybe you've been there before. Maybe you felt, you know, just rejected by many. Like, he did that. Every physical pain, the torture. Some, there's a reason why they call it excruciating pain, because it comes from the word crucifixion. Because of what Jesus endured, excruciating pain. We can't, descri- that's the only way we can describe our worst nightmare of pain is excruciating. We, we came up with that word off of the crucif- crucifixion. Jesus feels our pain. Whatever you're going through, he has a plan, and he feels your pain. I think even the, the women in the story, which women have a powerful voice and window into the life. They're the first ones to show at the tomb. They were, they were some of the ones that were faithful, that were always there. But even them, like their mourning and their pain, it was kind of difficult to see through their situation because of the pain at the time. Tough to keep hope going. So Jesus feels our pain. So that's good. That's good, Pastor. Like, he has a plan for me, and he feels my pain. But what about the whole sin stuff? Let's talk about that. Let's go over to John chapter 19. Powerful text that many times we come to. Later, knowing that everything had been finished so that the scripture would be fulfilled, so that all these prophecies led up here would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I'm thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge on it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it's finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now, it was the day of preparation. The next day was to be a special Sabbath. Jesus, uh, because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. This is a lot to manage, but like they, they want to just so he'll die faster. Um, my wife and I were in, in Europe just a little over a week ago, and, and we got to go to the place where the guillotine happened. Um, the reign of terror took place, and we're standing in here, and we have a tour guide that's sharing with us just kind of the nature of it, the, the pain that these people were going to. I, I won't go into it, because you don't need to be grossed out on Easter. Um, but I, I have this kind of vivid kind of torture right in, in my head right now because of what we saw and this being described to us, and I, this is like even more like wanting to break the legs, legs so that they'll die faster. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. Uh, but when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs, which was fulfilling prophecy, as it tells us. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing in a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, um, and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so that the scripture would be fulfilled, not one of his bones would be broken. Again, just on the prophecy being fulfilled. And finally, and as another scripture says, the look on the one they pierced, they pierced his side. I think the next thing that I really want to lean into and, and share with us about in his love God not only has a plan for our life, not only feels our pain, but he conquered sin and death for us. This may be some of the pain that we're going through is just sin in our life. Like, and they're just, it's, it's, it's painful. 
you may be, be struggling with death and, and losing someone. But when Jesus came and when he died and when he was resurrected, he conquered sin and death. Look at, at what uh, Romans 8 uh, uh, verse 3 says here. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh. You see, Jesus had to accomplish two things. First of all, the, the perfect life, he wouldn't be an apt sacrifice for our sins if he had not lived the perfect life, which nobody was able to find fault in him. They were kind of stirring this up to accomplish the will of God. But there was no fault in him. There was nothing. In fact, I, 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 they kept turning him over. No one wanted to deal with it. Nobody wanted the blood on their hands. They washed their hands of it. And what this passage says here, and so many times our sin, we try to slay it by the flesh, but sin isn't put to death by the flesh. Sin, it's put to death by the Spirit, not by the work of our hands, but by the work of His Spirit in us. God did what we could not do. So many times in our lives, and probably right now, there are some things that we are trying to defeat on our own. I, I, I sit across from people in counseling things sometimes, and, and I really discourage them and really take them off guard when I say something super discouraging to them. <laughs> it's always like, what, dude? You're supposed to be like encouraging me. I'm like, <clears throat> I ask them, do you think you can do this? Do you think you can do this? Do you think you can come out of this situation? Do you think things are going to, do you think you can do this? And before they can even answer, I say, you can't. They're like, what, what am I here for? I'm like, you can't. We're still so focused in the me and the I and the we, and we forget that we can't do this on our own. That's why God sent his only son, is because in our flesh we can't. It's by walking in the spirit and God doing that work. That work. Go back to the, the first note I had there, because Jesus wouldn't be an ab sacrifice, not only for um, our, our sins if he hadn't lived a perfect life, but he also couldn't, be, um, couldn't conquer uh, make, and make a way for eternal life without first conquering death. First, to have eternal life, we hear that. And, and that's a difficult thing to kind of understand and comprehend. But there, Jesus couldn't make a way for that without first conquering death. And that's what we find that he did in resurrecting. And he made a way. He made a way for us. So many times we're busy making our own way, but Jesus made a way for us. We couldn't conquer sin. Not a one of us can conquer death, but Jesus and by his spirit. We do, and we can. Let's, let's finish up on John chapter 20, and we see a powerful scene, just one chapter, just a few verses later, actually. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the, sto the stone had been removed from the entrance, just to, again, give you an idea how large the stone was. It was probably down a little bit of a slope, and it was kind of chiseled kind of down in that area, because it weighed probably 2,000 to 4,000 pounds, based on archaeological kind of surveys and stuff. About 2,000 to 4,000 pounds. It took multiple men to move it, and it, it was impossible to move. There was no place to grip it from the inside. It was impossible for Jesus to move this on her own. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. 
Both were running, but the other disciple uh, outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Uh, we're reading out of the Gospel of John, and, and there's kind of um, a, a good conversation going on between theologians about who actually wrote the Gospel of John. Was it uh, John the, the author, or not uh, John the disciple who Jesus loved, which is the phrase that's always used, the one who, who, who leans on his shoulder at the Lord's Supper we see in the portraits and, and what the Scripture tells us? Was it that one, or was it the, the um, you know, John the Evangelist who, who shared, not John the Baptist, but John the Evangelist, another John. And uh, this is one theory for me. Go back to that verse 4, that I think it was the one who Jesus loved, because he just so happens to include this random detail about outrunning Peter to the tomb. Like, come on, John. Like, why did we need to know? I just think that's, okay, that's random. That's just a little humor. That's a little Bible humor. Glad you're with me. Um, but the other disciple, our and Peter, reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked uh, in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside and he saw and believed. It was a very small thing, so only one of them really could get in there. Uh, still, they did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Like, they didn't even understand that the resurrection was going to be a part of it. So, so many people talk about, like, them, like, making some massive scheme to steal Jesus away. Like, they didn't even know that he had to, like, be resurrected. They didn't even get that. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. All of a sudden, like, she's this kind of focal character, what's happening in her life. She was very close to Jesus. As Jesus wept, or as she uh, wept, she bent over to look in the tomb and saw two angels in white seated there uh, where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't even realize that it was Jesus. I want you to notice these questions that Jesus asked her. Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried away, tell me where you've put him, and I'll go get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. She asked, or he asked her two questions. Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And then he says her name. And I think those are the questions that Jesus might want to speak to you this morning. Why are you crying? What's going on in life right now that's just so difficult? And I'm not making light of it. I mean, it's seriously, it's difficult. In our emotional, in our pain, like what are you struggling with? Why are you crying? Because Jesus wants to bring life. Jesus wants to bring hope to the dead parts, not just of our spirit, but of our practical life. It's all connected. It's all one. Why are you crying? Because he feels our pain. And he has a plan. He's conquered sin and death. He's bringing new life forward. Second question he asked her is, who are you looking for? It's 
kind of dumb question, Jesus. You know who she's looking for. She's looking for you. You're not in the tomb. There's something deep about this question of who are you looking for? And I think in our lives, I think we have to ask ourselves, who are who are we looking for? Who are we in this room for? And like on a daily basis, like going to the job, doing the grind, like just doing life, who is it we're looking for? What are we longing for? There's something deeper about why we've been created than just stuff, than just surviving. But he wants real life and life eternal for us. Who are you looking for? Who have you been running to for, for answers? What things, what sins, what addictions have you been running to to fill the places that Jesus wants to fill? Why are you crying? Who are you looking for? And then what moves me more than anything else in this whole message is how he says her name. He just says her name, Mary. And when he says her name, all of a sudden she gets it. She sees Jesus before them. He's no gardener. It's her risen Lord. One of the people she was closest to in this life, and, and he's not, this is one thing for us to look about and read about, but she, she was standing there when he was crucified, and they didn't break his legs because he was dead. Like, she was standing there weeping. It's one thing for us to read it. She was there. She didn't even recognize him. So he says her name. I don't know if the tears just dried up. Jesus revealed himself. And I know in this room right now, some of us that are struggling, like we may be crying about some really intense things that have happened in our life, some struggles we're having, not understanding God's plan, not understanding the pain we're going through, not understanding how we're supposed to conquer the sin, but Jesus wants new life for us. And he's made a way. And he's saying your name today. He's saying your name. And if you've never heard it before and Jesus has never revealed himself to you, I believe he's revealing himself to you right now as you understand that he has a plan for your life, that he loved you enough to, God loved you enough to send his son into the pain, but to make a way out, conquer sin and death and bring new life. So I want to ask you to stand with me today. I'm going to ask you to respond today. I'm not trying to coerce anything or, or, or by any stretch of the imagination. But I'm going to make an, a couple of invitations to you. And if God's saying your name, I think it's important that you respond. Cry out, teacher. Rabboni. Standing right next to me are, are two tables that have bread and some juice. And uh, it's representative of what happened a few days before the resurrection, just before Jesus was in that garden, uh, before he would be arrested. And he sat with his disciples, and he broke bread, and they were having uh, Passover, final Passover meal. All Jewish guys that have been converted, they were all converted to Christianity, what we call it today, Jesus followers. And this symbol that Jesus said, do it every single time you get together is deep. It's deep and it's, it's wide. And, and partly, we first understand this is to remember what Jesus did. Remember what happened at the cross, his body and his blood that was poured out for us. 
partially to remember. It's also to remind us of his very much presence with us. Nothing is more tangible in daily life than bread and drink. Nothing's more simple in every day than that. And he wanted something tangible in our life every day where when we took it, we could not take anything without thinking about what he's done for us. It was a symbol of his tangible presence in this room in our lives today. But thirdly, it it was about the future. It was so that we would never forget what he's done and that he'll return for us because he told his disciples, the next time I'll take you, I'll take this with you. We'll be in the kingdom together. And look, if you're not a believer in this house, I don't want you to feel um, compelled to kind of come up here and do this. In fact, the scripture says guard your heart from that. It's it's not a good thing to do. So don't feel weird if if you don't want to take it. You don't have to. But for those that believe in the house, even confessing today for the first time and saying, God, take my sins away. I want to invite you to come in the next few moments. And if, if you're hearing Jesus say your name for the first time or you're going through some pain and you can't understand what's happening, there's going to be some folks at each one of these crosses up here. And as we come, I want to invite you to come and, and let us just be with you. Let us pray with you. Let us encourage you. This is the body of Christ today all over the world. Like this is a small room. With all, we can only fit so many people in here. All across the world, Millions upon millions of people are coming together to declare the resurrection and glory of Jesus. We can get caught up in our small I, me world. Jesus started something that's happening all over this world today, and we're a part of that, and we break bread with them. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to come to the crosses or to come to the table. Come as you are. God, we thank you. God, we're humbled today that we could look on these words, God, and just to imagine the lives of of these people, God, that you interacted with, but God, we're brought to the questions to us today. We're brought to the reality that we have to make a decision about the life that you've planned for us, God? Is it going to be the one that we go out and create on our own, making ourselves our own, God? Or are we going to be s- submit our will just as Jesus did? And we're no better, God. God, I pray that every single person here know that you've made a way for our sins to be forgiven upon the confession of our faith in the work of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that every heart would be healed, every soul restored to a right relationship with you today. In Christ's holy name. Pray that you'll come as you are to the crosses and to the tables when you're ready to understand.